just continuing sort of the theme of children, I want to start by asking a, a simple, fun question. What can you learn from kids? A lot. <laughs> a lot about yourself, okay. What did you learn from kids? Patience. I don't know who said that, but uh, up there. Truth. Okay. Love. There's nothing like a, a love of a child. Oh, just just amazing. How impressionable we all are. Absolutely. Trust. Kids are so trusting. Um, playfulness. The comparison of us being children of God, as I look at my daughter, how little she knows in, in relation to how much I know, like what's good for her, is humbling for how little I know in relation to what God knows. Absolutely. Did you guys hear that? Learning about our relationship with God because we are His children. This morning we want to, to get back to Mark chapter 10 and we're going to talk a little bit about children at the beginning here. And it's a, it's a longer passage that is talking about where, where Jesus is instructing his disciples, what kinds of attitudes do I want you to have as you come to the kingdom? What kinds of attitudes are required to come to the kingdom? Not just that I want you to have, but what kind of a heart do we need to have to even be saved? And sometimes we, we look at passages like this and we're like, okay, this is something to strive for. But, but here we find Jesus saying, this is a must. This is an absolute. And he begins by talking about children. Would you turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 13? Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying hands on them. Come on up, kids. I know a couple of you really well. Hi. Hi, Raya. Oops, sorry. Do you guys just want to have a seat right here? You guys want to join me up here for a while? Isn't this neat? Can you say hi to mom and dad? Wave to mom and dad. I'm up here, my two. <laughs> but mom's out there. <laughs> have a seat, guys. Do you want to sit down? Is this scary a little bit? A little bit scary? Yeah, I know. Me too. But it's great up here because we have a family. It's just being with the family. Do you want to sit down, Noah? You can sit. If you want to stand, that's fine too. It's always dangerous to do this. I wanted, I wanted to have some kids up here during the first part of this passage so we really begin to understand what's happening here. We have children here that you don't know what they're going to do. Who knows? Um, they'll distract you from what I'm saying. I know that. But this is what was happening with Jesus and the disciples. He's teaching... He's, he's teaching the important people, the adults. And the disciples, we read in verse 13, are on the outskirts. And parents are bringing kids this age and probably a little younger. The word that's used there is, is very small children. And so these are children, some of them babies, some of them being carried, um, some of them that, that are about this age. And, and just look at them for a minute. 
how many of them would you just leave at home alone? No. What? None of them? That's right. (laughs) Because what would happen? Bad things, huh? And what would you eat? Nothing. Nothing. That's right. (laughs) This was not rehearsed. (laughs) And they'd be fighting with each other and who knows what. But this is... This is what's, what's, what they're talking about. Let me read it again. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. And the word for rebuked is a strong, angry word that says, get out of here. And, and remember what, what Pastor Andrew talked about a month ago or so. I'll watch and make sure we stay right here. <laughs> Do you remember how the society viewed children? Children were second class citizens or third class. They were... They were down near the scale of animals because they just weren't important. They were, the, the mortality, infant mortality rate was so high that you just didn't get that attached. And in fact, one, one author a year, uh, in 1 BC, one of the papyruses was from a husband to an expecting wife. And he wrote, if it's a male child, let it live. If it was a female, cast it out. Hi, kids. <laughs> Our little sister is great. <laughs> and so children like this were viewed as the less than important people of society. And the disciples are out there and they think they're helping, but they haven't learned anything from chapter 9. They haven't learned anything of what Jesus said, that if you receive one of these in my name, you receive me. Instead, they're out there saying, no, don't come. Jesus has more important people to deal with. People has more important people to talk to. Are you guys important? Do you know what that word means? Yeah, you guys are important to us. To all your moms and dads. And you know what? That's what Jesus said. Because Jesus says, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Also a very strong word. We think of indignant as sort of this quiet... No, this was indignant as an angry, I'm going to rebuke you, don't ever let this happen again. Jesus was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. I I, I was just picturing as we were setting this up, what if they just started running down? And some of the adults were like, no, no, don't go up there. You didn't. It was great. You just let them up. But Jesus says, let them come to me. And then he goes on to say why. For to such, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And where he's going with this, and this passage and the next passage, which are connected, is, is not that children themselves are, 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 that will all be children in the kingdom of God, and to be saved you have to be a, a physical child. He's looking at the heart and saying those qualities of these children that are so precious, that's what we need to pursue. And in fact, in the next verse, in verse 15, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Not will not, not may not, shall not enter it. And there's a key there. And as we look at the two, two stories this morning, what does it mean to, to accept the kingdom as a child? What does it mean to be like these six precious little ones? And then Jesus completely against culture, completely against everything they expected, 
It says He took them in His arms and blessed them, laying His hands on them. You guys want to come here for a minute? Give me a big group hug. Come here, come here. Come here. Come here, Noah. Come here. Come here. Come here, Elijah. Oh. Dear Lord God, we pray for our little ones at village. We pray for them to grow up to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength to serve you in mighty ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Do you want to go back to your class now? Yeah, head on back to your class. Thank you. Do you want to come on? Come here. Come here. In what way must we come to Christ? The first point in your notes is humble in spirit. Humble in spirit. We've got to be children again. Now, I didn't say we've got to be childish again. But we've got to be children again. And I hope this serves as a picture for what we're talking about today. Children are humble in spirit. They have a a dependence and a humility because Jesus here is referring to their place in life, to their status. They were the least important of society. And the least important, Jesus says, that's what you need to be like to come to Me. In fact, you can't come to Me without that humility, without seeing yourself as the least. And so Jesus teaches that His children come as children. Utterly helpless, small, without merit, without claim, These six kids, they wouldn't be up here, well, sin taints this, but hopefully not yet. They wouldn't be here saying, I should get to drive tomorrow. I have every right to drive. They're not going to claim that because they're little children and they have nothing to claim. They have no merit. And in the same way as we come to Christ, we have nothing to claim. We can't say, well, you know, God, I'm, I'm sort of important like you are. Oh, it's ridiculous. And Jesus is saying, look at children. Look at their status. Look at their attitudes. That's what people that come to my kingdom are like. What should a child expect? Nothing. What has a child earned? Nothing. What can a child demand? Nothing. A child is dependent on his parents. A child trusts his parents. A child needs his parents. A child of God is dependent on God. A child of God needs God for everything. A child of God cannot demand anything of God. A child of God has no right to anything. Jesus says, come as children. Humble in spirit. One other side note. It's interesting that Jesus here crosses boundaries and He brings the children in. And and the beginning of this paragraph, the disciples are thinking they're important and the children are not. Jesus flips that upside down and says, no, they're important and what you did was not right. And as we think about that, and then Jesus hugs them and brings them in and blesses them and crosses that boundary, 
I think about the implications in a body, in a church body. If we really all come to Christ as children, and if we all view ourselves as not important and not entitled to anything, what does that do to our relationships with each other? Changes everything. Because now I can never think, well, I'm more important than so-and-so. I'm more important than, you know, I know more than them and I need to let them know what they should be doing. No, those kinds of things that cause so much dissension are the kinds of things that if we come to Christ as children, completely erase most of the issues we have in a church. Because most of our issues come from importance and self. And Jesus turns that all upside down when He cares for the children. And His point to the disciples is, your children like their children. Your children just like them. And so you're on equal footing. Let them come. Let them come. That's scene number one. As you study Scripture, it's sometimes tempting to study just little paragraphs or little stories at a time. But I encourage you, especially as you read through narratives in Scripture, to look at, at which stories are next to each other. And as you, as you look at, okay, why did God, through His Spirit, put these stories together, then we begin to understand deeper, deeper things about Scripture. And so in this case, we could just do a, a, a story and a sermon on children and valuing children, and definitely that's there. But Jesus is going somewhere completely different because the next story is part of it, the rich young ruler. And what Jesus is doing is He's contrasting two different attitudes, all about what attitude do we come to the kingdom. So let's continue reading in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him, you see the care again, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. One of the sad meetings with Jesus. One of the few people that went away not joyful and not healed and not touched. But we can learn so much. And the second thing that God is looking for with those that come to His kingdom is a surrendered heart. A surrendered heart. And as we, as we look at this, there's a couple of different aspects that I want to hit on. The first is, look at how the rich young ruler came to Christ. And our challenge here is to watch out for traps. Watch out for self-reliance. It's easy for us to, to begin to think, especially the longer we've been Christians or the longer we've been in church without becoming a Christian, it's easy for us to say, well, if I just do the right things, if I just talk the right way, if I just do this, then I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. And what we find in this story is Jesus is saying, nope. That's not the, the, the way that you know that. Doing the right things, saying the right things, isn't it? 
looking back at the man, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that scene is important to understand because this is in broad daylight in front of people and the man in eagerness comes running up and he kneels before the rabbi, something you didn't always lower yourself if you were rich, to do and he did it publicly. And all indications are is this man was extremely sincere. He truly wanted to know from Jesus, what must I do to be saved? What, what do I need to do? And as we look at self-reliance and beware of traps, we have to remember that sincerity does not equal salvation. Sincerity does not equal salvation. This man was sincere. Coming to church and, and coming to Second Harvest and being sincere in what we do, sincere in what we do, that does not equal salvation. There will be plenty of sincere people that spend eternity in hell. And they wanted to do the right thing. And they were sincere in that. But they never could do the right thing. They could never bring themselves to do that. He shows genuine respect. And, and this is something that's under attack in our culture because you hear all the time, well, they're sincere in their faith. They really believe it. God would honor that, wouldn't He? Well, God said there's only one way into the kingdom. That's through His Son, Jesus Christ and a complete trust and reliance on Him. And anything else that we're sincere about falls short. I was talking with, with Jonathan or Jeremiah this morning. Sorry, Jeremiah. And we are talking about sincerity and thinking in terms of what if you were in an aircraft and you're about to jump out of a perfectly good airplane, which is just wrong. And, and you have a backpack and you are sincere in your belief that there is a parachute in that backpack. And you jump. And you're sincere in that and, and you unzip that and, and or you, you pull the little cord and nothing happens because there's no parachute in the backpack. And, and But you're sincere and you're like, I still believe there's a parachute. And you're pulling on the little cords and, and nothing happens. And you end up hitting the ground and you're still sincere. You're just dead. <laughs> Has sincerity saved you? Why not? Because it's in the wrong thing. Sincerity doesn't save. Jesus Christ saves. We also see from this man that he said the right words. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's respectful and he calls Jesus good. And really they only used this term for good of God Himself, which is why Jesus confronts it. Because the man doesn't think that Jesus is God. But, but he's showing that, that spiritual talk and, and he's trying to, to do the right things. But the right words and the right language doesn't equal salvation. Doing the right things doesn't equal salvation. Reading on. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And he reminds him, that you don't believe I'm God, but you're just using your words that way. And he's challenged. But then in verse 17, sorry, 19, 
You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And Jesus here quotes the commandments that are are horizontal, that deal with us one with another. And He quotes these commandments. He says, you know them. That. How have you done on those? And do you see the man's response? Verse 20, And He said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. All these I have kept from my youth. And we know that, that people of, of that time and, and people that were students of the law and that people that tried to follow the law, they really believed that from bar mitzvah they could keep the commandments. And so again, this man is sincere. He says, I've kept them. Because what is he focusing on? He's focusing on the external acts. Let's see, I haven't stolen anything today or, or since I was 13. I haven't, I haven't killed anyone. That's good. Um, I haven't cheated on my wife. That's good. And, and he goes through the list and, and he can say, I've kept all these. But doing the right things on the outside doesn't equal salvation. And this is challenging for us. It's challenging as we talk with people that don't know Christ. Because the world has all kinds of ideas of how to be saved and it's doing the right things and talking and being sincere. But none of those things end up in salvation. But it's also challenging for us that have been saved for, for some time and say, okay, am I falling into that? Am I falling into thinking that doing the right things and those externals equals relationship with God? Because it doesn't. Now those things aren't bad and He wants us to do those, but for a completely different reason. And we see that in verse 21. As Jesus confronts this man and says, yes, you've been doing it on the outside, but that's not the standard. And in verse 21, and Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. That phrase is huge because this man is is a rich man. He's wealthy. He lacks nothing. And he knows it. In, In their culture, one of the things that we need to understand about the, the story is that riches equaled blessings. If you were rich, if you had a lot of money, that meant you were spiritual. And so, you know, we could just line everybody up by, by your tax return here. And, and the ones that made the most last year, you're the most spiritual. And the ones that made the least, we're praying for you. Not just for money, that you, you find Jesus. That, that would have been their, their mindset. Okay, now, now some of you are saying, I can't believe you just said that. No, that's not what we believe now. But that was their mindset. And so to them, the rich man, even saying, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? They're like, what? You have everything. And Jesus is countering that and saying the riches don't matter. Whether you have them or not isn't the issue. The issue is the heart. And so he says, you lack one thing. And he gives them a twofold command. Go, that's the first, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then the second command, and come, follow me. And Jesus here, in, in a way that only Jesus can, cuts right through all the junk and says, here's the issue. What do you love? What do you love? 
For him, it was money and a reliance on money. So he says, okay, go sell it all. Give up what you love. Give to the poor, which is for me. It's for, for my cause and my work. Love me more than money. And that gets to the heart of it. Second command is follow me, imitate me, come behind me. And he invites the rich young ruler to the kingdom, to eternal life. And the rich young ruler in verse 22 can't do it. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See, Jesus is looking for surrender. A heart that is surrendered to Him. A heart that holds nothing back. He is looking for us when we come to Him to say, Jesus is more important than anything else. And until we come to Him and give Him our heart and make Him Lord, there is no salvation. Nothing we do can earn salvation. Only giving our heart to Christ. And the man walks away and says, I can't do it. See, a child isn't ensnared by the trappings of of adult life yet. A child can just follow. Just follow and put everything else aside because nothing else is important as following dad. I get home from work and I, I, I guarantee that I open that door and I have three kids that are wrestling me to the ground. It's getting more and more painful. Because nothing else matters at that point but loving on dad. When Jesus says, come to the kingdom like a child, nothing else matters to us but loving on Dad. But following Him. And we need to look at our hearts and say, is anything else that important? What would it be that would keep me from surrendering to Christ? If I had you write on your notes, what is the the thing that you value most here on earth? the next question would be, could you give that up? If Jesus asked you to, could you give that up? And man, that starts to step on my toes. Could I give up those things I hold dear? Could I trust God with those and love Him more? To our young men and women that are here, as you're looking for a spouse, make sure they love Jesus more than you. Otherwise, you are an idol. And that will come back to haunt you. What is dear to you? What is your effort to be spiritual? Replace that with a love for God and allow Him to touch your heart. Reading on verse 23, going through the rest of the passage fairly quickly. Third point in your notes is complete dependence. A child is completely dependent on mom and dad 
Jesus wants us to be completely dependent on Him. Because He says salvation is not just unlikely, it's not hard, it is impossible on your own. Verse 23, And Jesus looked around and said to His disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at His words. Again, the people that had wealth were the spiritual ones. How could He say that? This is completely backwards, Jesus. But Jesus said to them again, Children, He's wanting them to have the heart of children. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus uses hyperbole here. And and there's all kinds of things that have been written about, well, the eye of the needle was a gate later on in Jerusalem and a camel had to kneel to get through. There's no evidence of that. There's no evidence of truth of that because what Jesus is saying is it is impossible. Have you ever tried to throw a camel through the eye of a needle? I mean, just try your cat. It doesn't work. It won't happen. It's impossible. A camel was the largest animal in Palestine at the time. And so Jesus isn't saying, oh, it's hard or, or, you know, if you, if you get on your knees. And, and, and there's, I understand that because we do need to be on our knees. He is saying, on your own, it is absolutely impossible for you to be saved. Just like these kids, if they were set on their own, they could not survive. And until we come to that point of saying, I cannot save myself, there is nothing I do that's good enough, there's nothing I do that will pay for my sins, there's nothing I do that can earn me favor with God, until we get to that point, we cannot be saved. Because Jesus is the only way. The only way to the kingdom of God. But it is so freeing to put our dependence on God instead of ourselves. I'm glad I don't have to do anything to be saved. I'm glad I don't have the pressure. Susie and I always talk with the kids because sometimes the kids are like, oh, i got to put the silverware away or I have to do this. Or, and we're like, oh, we would trade with you for a, in a minute. If we had one little chore and, you know, or whatever it is and, because there's responsibility with parenting, isn't there? Those lives are in your hands. Praise God, our lives are in God's hands. And we don't have to take that responsibility. But we have to trust Him. But this morning, I tell you, trusting Him is worth it. He is capable. He is able. And He loves us as He did with the rich ruler, as He did with the children. He loves us and wants us in the kingdom. But will we stop trying in our own way and just let go and trust Him? Verse 26, And they were exceedingly astonished and said to Him, Then who can be saved? They got it. Like, what you're saying that no one can be saved? And Jesus said, Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. He says, come to me dependent. Come to me helpless. And then I can work. True discipleship only comes from complete abandonment to the cross and reliance on God. The last point on your notes, 
great reward. The reward for giving all for Christ is priceless. Verses 28 through through 31, which Joshua read this morning, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. A little bit of pride there. Yeah, we've done that. But Jesus understands they have. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one that has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. It's not just the abandonment. It's for Christ and for the gospel, giving our hearts to Him. Verse 30, Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And Jesus isn't teaching a prosperity gospel here. He isn't saying that if you do this, I'm going to just give you so much stuff that you're going to be amazed. He's talking about a new family, a spiritual family. He's saying you're going to have mothers and brothers and sisters because look around, we do. And that is the blessing for walking with God and following Him. He does add in the, the, the phrase that you might want to white out of your Bible, with persecutions. No, don't white it out. <laughs> but again, it's going to be hard. But with a family, we can get through that. And then the eternal reward, that's the earthly reward, the eternal reward is eternal life. Being adopted as sons and daughters of the King and spending eternity with Him. In the last verse, which summarizes the two stories, but many who are first, the rich young ruler, will be last because they won't be in the kingdom. And the last, the children, will be first. This morning we want to to end with communion. And I challenge you, I encourage you, that if you are sitting here this morning and you have never come to Christ and abandoned all and surrendered, if you've been trying to be spiritual a whole lot of other ways and thinking a whole lot of other things will get you into heaven, right now as we, as we recognize the body of Christ on the cross, His blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins, right now I encourage you to come to Him. To give your life to Him. To say, Jesus, I've been trying it without You. And I need you because you are the only way. As you've heard the words of Christ, maybe you've thought, you know what, I've forgotten some of those things. I've let a lot of distractions of everyday life come in and become more important than Christ. Now's the time before we even pass them out to make that right with God. To say, God, I love you more than anything else. If there's anything I hold dear, May it come second to you. This morning's the time. We come to communion. We come to the Lord's Supper with an opportunity to make things right with Christ. With a command to make things right with Christ. So that way, as we share the bread and as we share the juice, we remember our Father. We remember His salvation. We remember what He's done. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we thank You for Your death on the cross. 
Lord, because we know that none of us could really keep the commandments like You've asked. None of us have a heart that is really sold out for You. On the outside, maybe we can do the right things, but in our heart, the motives that You look at, we have not loved You. And Lord, because of that, we need You. Because of that, there is no salvation except by Your payment on the cross. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that if there's anyone who has never said, Jesus, I accept Your payment on the cross, and I will follow You with my life. If there's anyone that has never done that right now, may that be their prayer. And Lord, I pray that for those that know You, that it would be a chance to reevaluate and reassess and say, have I given all to Christ? Am I giving all to Christ? Thank You for giving all to us. Thank You for Your death on the cross, Your resurrection, for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.